everybody, and welcome to another episode of the iFreak Show. This week on our panel, we have Sujin Rowe. Uh, we also have Alex Bush. Hello, hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv. And this week, we're talking to Jeff Watkins. Jeff, do you want to say hello, introduce yourself? Uh, hey there, I'm Jeff Watkins. Um, up until August of last year, I was an iOS engineer at Apple. And starting in August, I joined a new little company in Palo Alto called Wealthfront. Mm-hmm. And uh, there I'm working on their iOS app. Very cool. Are you stuck at home climbing the walls when you should be hanging out with the community at the latest conference to get canceled? Are you wondering where to hear your JavaScript heroes like Amy Knight and Douglas Crockford and Chris Heilman? After the cancellations, I decided to put on a JavaScript conference for you online. I invited my favorite folks from around the web and got them to come speak at an online event just for you. Go to jsremoteconf.com and check out our speakers and schedule. The conference is on May 14th and 15th. The call for proposals is open until March 31st. Come join us at an online conference that we guarantee will keep you safe and keep you informed. jsremoteconf.com. By the way, you have a voice for this, man. I'm just Ah. saying. (laughs) You sound terrific. Well, fortunately, I have a voice for this. I don't have a face for it. (laughs) I don't know. We we have the same haircuts. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so, um, yeah, you gave a talk at iOS Conf. Um, I guess that was in Singapore. Yep. Yeah, I was, uh, I was honored to be invited to Singapore to give a talk on uh, something that I've been noodling on, which I call considerate apps. Um, we're, we're really keen on, you know, cramming all the features we can into our applications. And I think a lot of times we leave behind the users of those applications. You know, we don't take into account the things that users need, you know, all of the, the, the things that make those applications so special to people. And it's not necessarily interruptible animations. It's not necessarily drop shadows. It's not necessarily all of the things that we as developers are excited to add, you know, machine learning and augmented reality and all these other great new platform experiences they're the simple things that got them excited about the app in the first place. But in part, what's so important about these things is that we need to make them accessible to everybody who uses the app, right? So that means meeting users where they are, making it so that people who have vision limitations like, like you and I do, Charles, mm-hmm. can use the app. People who have auditory limitations like I do can use the app. Um, People who have motor skill limitations can use our apps. But even more than that, people who don't necessarily speak the same language or read the same language can use our apps. There are so many applications that just aren't translated, and that limits their reach to a very small segment of the market, especially if they're only available in English. Because, let's be honest, English is a pretty small market of the global small portion of the global market. Yeah, I, I definitely see that. It's, it's interesting to talk about this, though, because, I mean, it does take some work to do that kind of thing in your app, right? It certainly does. And so getting something out there that helps some people versus making it accessible to all people, how do you balance that? Well, you know, the, the real challenge is that that's oftentimes not a decision that we as engineers get to make right? Um, we as engineers can provide input into those decisions, right? We can, we can say, here's how we implement these features. Here's um, the level of effort that localizing would be. Here's the level of effort that adding dynamic type would be. Here's the level of effort that adding voiceover is going to be. And we make our case to the product owner, we make our case to the PM, we make our case to whomever is actually in charge of prioritizing these features. But if we as engineers aren't familiar with some of the facts and statistics behind these issues, it's a lot harder for us to make our case. And I know as engineers, we often shy away from things that aren't strictly engineering based. And so it makes it harder for us to make our case. That makes sense. Um, of the four of us, Jeff, you and I are the only ones that grew up speaking English. So I'm curious, 
what the rest of our panel thinks on this because it's not something that I think about that often because my iPhone is made by an American company. It, you know, all the apps that I use are written to run in English. So yeah. So Jenny, you want to go? <clears throat> okay. So um, actually I, uh, I was born in Korea and I moved to the United States when I was in junior high. Oh, okay. So yeah, so, so like for the for the first ten years of my life, I was not uh, good with English. But after that, I was really lucky to be speaking the language. So after like, so I lived in the states for three years and and then came back to Korea. But since then, I I've you know um, benefited from speaking English as. As you said, like all the apps, all the all the useful apps, they all first come in English. So I, I think I didn't really have difficulties, but but like people around me, and if I if I read some like app store comments, like mm. app store reviews on some popular apps or popular games, like all the Korean users, they want translations, they want yeah. localizations, and um, I think like. Even though, even like small, uh, even like games, you know, like games don't need much, uh, uh, much translation, I think, but people like are really um, uncomfortable with the languages they, they don't know. So I think, I think like um, giving options, like it's important, important for an app to users. Yeah. I'd say for me, I... I started to speak English when I was 20. That's when I moved to the States. So it's been 10 years now. And it's hard to say, like, my, I kind of changed my thinking on specific languages, right? Topic. I, I think depends on the industry, right? If you're cater for developers, the majority of the literature out there is in English. So it's kind of, you have to. And I encourage that. But if you cater to consumers, like my mom, right? No, I don't, doesn't make sense for her to learn English, right? For mm -hmm. to use my Uber app or, I don't know, Instacart or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. So in that case, yeah, definitely. Translation is important. Yeah, it was, um, it was a real shocking experience for me because a, a couple of summers ago, my daughter and I were traveling uh, through France and Italy, and we don't speak either French or Italian. And we were in some places where, where nobody spoke English or weren't willing to speak English to us. And, and we were just really, really stumbling because we had no idea what the sign said, what the, you know, what the, the, the menu said, nothing. And, and sure, there were, there were tools that could help us. You know, we, we had a, at least one app that would sort of help me translate things. But that level of frustration, I can only imagine what it's like when it's a daily thing on your phone that you've paid money for, right? Um, if I'm a consumer and I have a choice between, an, between two apps, one that's localized and maybe isn't as good, and another app, which, speaking as the as a separate consumer who understands that language, maybe it's a better app. But but to a consumer who's not speaking that language, who can't understand the language that it's it's localized into, is it any good at all? Right? It doesn't matter how ultimately technically sound it is, whether it, it has great animations, whether it has, you know, machine learning behind it, whether it's got interruptible animations, you know, all of these things, if they can't understand it, they have no way of knowing how good it is. And so they'll choose a different app, maybe one that's terrible, that doesn't protect their privacy, that doesn't do any of the great things that we want our apps to do, but they'll choose it because it's localized into their language. And I look at it from the perspective of perhaps greed, where I, I want to make money off of my apps, not that I actually have any personal apps, but, but in the long run, right, we, we want to make money, and we really have only two ways of doing that. We can either take money directly from our customers, 
um, by some sort of transaction, or we can make money indirectly by showing them ads, where whoever's showing the you know placing the ad hopes to make money directly. And if they don't understand the app, then that manage that manner of like merchandising the application isn't going to work. So what are all the various ways? I mean, language is only <clears throat> sort of one um, medium, if you will, or a barrier. Right. Uh, what are the other, like you mentioned voiceover. Right. Uh, so, so the really big issue, um, especially for phones, because at, at least in the United States, it's, it's such a, um, a pressing issue is, is visual imitations. Um, because nearly more than 50% of Americans wear some sort of corrective lenses, whether they're contact lenses or glasses. Um, and as you get older, into into my age bracket, you know, 45 and over, that goes up to to 60 plus percent of Americans, and and sure, surely as you get even older, still that gets higher. Um, so implementing dynamic type is an incredibly important thing for you for applications to do. That allows you to uh, increase the size of the type in your application. Um, but it's more than just simplistic support for dynamic type because once you start adding you know uh, text that gets larger what you wind up with is layouts that just don't work anymore right so you need to actually start rethinking your layouts and that sort of causes you to revisit your application and rethink how things are laid out and that gives you a really great opportunity to perhaps come back and add voiceover to your app because if you're rethinking the design of your app to say, well, maybe I need to have a horizontal and a vertical layout of my content, that's the same time that you should be thinking, well, how do I want my content to sound? Because that's how you really need to be thinking of your content to do a really great voiceover interface. You need to be thinking of it in terms of what What's the voice of my application? All too often, developers just rely on the fact that voiceover just works. And, and it does, but there's so much more that you can do to give your application its own unique and great voice. That's interesting. I mean, um, you're talking about you know, corrective lenses and I got glasses like three years ago. Right. You know, I turned 40 in December, so... Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can kind of see where, you know, that progression has happened. Um, oddly enough, most men, from what I understand, as they get older, they tend to get more farsighted. And I'm nearsighted to begin with. So, you know, that may correct as I get older. But <laughs> um, that, that's what the eye doctor said to me anyway. He's like, don't count on it, but it might. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so for me, using my phone, I actually see it better if I take off my glasses. Right. Same here. And um, so like I wear my glasses when I'm looking at things far away. Yeah. It makes and, it a little easier to read the screen is why I have them on here. Oh, do you? Yeah. So uh, I, I need them for everything that's about six feet to 10 feet away and further. Uh, anything closer than that. And I'm basically fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will, because of that, I'll frequently forget to put them on when I leave the house. Right. And, and my vision is just okay enough that I can like navigate as I'm walking around. Right. You know, I won't walk into signposts. Um, but, but sometimes I'll be walking through downtown and someone I know will be there and I won't recognize them until they get really close. And it's kind of embarrassing because... You know, you like to be friendly. You like to, to greet people um, before they practically run into you. Um, but most of my friends have, have come to realize this about me. So like you, I take off my, my glasses to read. And so one of the things that I find really frustrating is when I'm using an app, like a guidebook app. And, mm-hmm. and so like when I'm traveling, I want to read the guidebook app and then put my glasses on to see what it's talking about. Right. And it's, and it's hugely frustrating if the guidebook app doesn't support dynamic type because I'm constantly taking my glasses on and off. Right. Whereas if I can adjust the type, 
then I can I can get it so that I can use my phone, keep my glasses on, and have a more seamless experience. Yeah, that makes sense. It, how, how do you become that aware though of the use case? Because I mean, even you know where where we ha- kind of have the same um, limitations. I mean, I would have never thought about that. Um, well, part of it is you watch people. Um, you know, it, it, it's not that uncommon to see people like in a shop putting on their glasses to read the label on, on, a, on a piece of clothing or to put on their glasses to read um, a book and then take off their glasses to move around the, the store. Mm-hmm. That, that's hugely common amongst actually, frankly, people our age in their 40s right. and older because most people become, uh, if it, whatever it is, nearsighted, farsighted, whatever it is that mm-hmm. they have to put on their glasses to read. And, and so just observing that pattern, if there's something that we can do to alleviate that annoyance, right? And, I, and I, I really do tie it back to the monetary aspect of it, right? It's so hard to make a living on the App Store now. If all it takes is that one little bit of annoyance to cause your customer to find a different app that doesn't annoy them, does maybe everything they want, because let's be honest, any given consumer probably uses 50% of your features, if that. Mm-hmm. It's just that each one uses a different segment of the features. And so if the feature that, if the misfeature perhaps that drives them away from the app is the fact that every time they try to use the app, they have to put on their glasses, or in my case, take them off, then they might find a different app that has mostly the same features, but it supports dynamic type. And that's not even talking about the the 12% of the American market that has vision uh, limitations to the point where even with corrective lenses, they need assistance. Right. And I I don't know about you, but I've been in countless meetings where some marketing guy or some sales guy says, you know, if I could just get 10% of the market We'd be set, <laughs> yeah. right? Right, and here we are talking about twelve percent of the market, folks who 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 are you know either legally blind or have twenty uh, something something vision, where even with glasses they have a hard time seeing. They need like a magnifying mm-hmm. glass or whatever. Um, and essentially, what we're saying is, no, nah, no, nah, we don't care about those people, right? I'm not saying that you should completely design your app to target this market. But if your sales guy is saying, just give me 10% of the market and we'll be rich, that, yeah. there's a disparity there. Well, and then your messaging says, you know, at least in those markets, this app will work for you. Right. Right. And, and maybe your competitor doesn't. And part of it is if you have a great voice experience, you're better than your competitor. Yep. And you're always looking for that little bit more than what your competitor has. And the thing about it is Apple makes this all so easy. All you have to do is just a little bit and, and you're great. I mean, if you look at what's available in voiceover versus what's available on Android, it's amazing, right? I mean, yep. the, the fact that you can do IPA notation, um, you can do... Um, all sorts of annotations in the attributed um, uh, accessibility label. Um, on Android, you basically, all you can do is group things together. And that's not quite the same. Now, maybe Android's ultimately smarter under the covers, but I doubt it. Makes sense. So I'm curious, Alex and Sujin, have, have you done much with these kinds of accessibility features? Not really. <clears throat> it's... Uh usually an afterthought if a, a thought at all <laughs> and um yeah it's kind of like the ipad support or 
No, wait. What was it? The iPhone 4 support when we only had 3G as the majority of the market. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, slowly became a more pressing and pressing thing as more people got those devices. But but no, still though, it's a little bit different. I'll take it back because none of the projects I worked on, small or large, they never think about it. Yeah. Adaptive layout and, and uh, the, what, what was it called? The, the adaptive font thing. Uh, dynamic that, type. Dynamic type, thank you. That, yes. So more and more we kind of pushed there because now we have adaptive layout, right? You could resize on iPad, resize your, even your small iPhone app screen. So we're like pushed there. But with uh, voiceovers and, and other features like that, or like um, tagging annotation, right? That's not, hmm. I have not seen it personally. That's kind of disappointing. Uh, me too. I uh, haven't really given much thought into accessibility, but, um, you know, every time, like almost every time I go to some conferences or seminars, there's, there's always a couple of uh, developers who are um, talking about accessibilities? They are they uh, present about accessibilities, but you know, I, I, I um, in the past I just um, let it slide, and <laughs> and because you know in in, our, in my daily lives, like no other like developer or like product managers they push for accessibilities, but I uh, really empathized when Jeff said when you're trying to make it work, the layouts no longer work. So mm-hmm. recently in my, in my previous work, I, <clears throat> we, we added two languages, two major languages, like Spanish, uh, Spanish and French. And it was a lot of work. So mm-hmm. it's not just translating the labels anymore. I, it was um, like many design issues, like rows, like during, like during QA sessions, we had to, so at first I thought like, so the translators would um, give us a translation and then it will be over. But, you know, like, like design issues were crazy. So like some, that's when I uh, realized that like, uh, the design could be better, like, like support adaptive layout. And like, so I realized how rigid our design was. So like, um, so like just because the, the translation is is longer than English, like the layouts broke. Mm-hmm. And um, so like we had to, I had to, our team had to like talk to designers and like product managers to just make it work, just make, just to add one language. So um, I think that's like, that's a big, uh, big issue. And one more issue is that when you want to roll out a feature in another language, in, in, in another language, in country, uh, there's also like law issue. So mm. recently we had to implement, you know, GDPR in Europe. So that was another work. So like, I think like adding a language and like rolling out uh, apps in new language is not easy anymore. Yeah, it was really hard work. Oh, I bet. Early in my career, I figured out which jobs were worth working at and which ones weren't, mostly by trial and error. I created a system that I used to find jobs and later contracts as a freelancer. If you're looking for a job or trying to figure out where you should go next, then check out my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. The book walks you through figuring out what you want, vetting companies that meet your criteria, meeting that company's employees, and getting them to recommend you for a job. Don't settle for whoever has listed their job on the job board. Go out and proactively find the job you'll love. Buy the book at devchat.tv slash job book. That's devchat.tv slash job book. Yeah. And in, in fact, the, the legal issue uh, is not just unique to Europe. Um, I don't know if you all followed the um, Domino's Pizza legal issue, um, but Domino's Pizza here in the United States fought uh, tooth and nail to keep their website and app inaccessible to uh, the visually challenged. 
and they lost. Uh, the the U.S. appeals court uh, handed them a, a defeat, basically saying that their website uh, posed a unacceptable uh, violation of the Americans with Disabilities Act, and they, I believe, for one of the first times ever, called a, a corporate website an application a a place of public accommodation, which is a, a specific uh, term in the Americans with Disability Act. Previously, that was typically only government websites and government apps. And so now, like, if you have an app, that's the only way for consumers to interact with your product or service. And it may possibly represent a, a public accommodation. There may be legal liabilities that say you must be accessible. And so it's one of those things where like companies may be just sort of hoping for the best, um, but like you saw with GDPR, um, there, there are, there's some real teeth out there that say you gotta do the right thing. But it's interesting that you mentioned that there's always that, there's always that developer at a conference saying, please implement accessibility. It's, it's really not that hard. And, and, and what I'm trying to do with, with my considered apps talk is not just give you the, the APIs because they're really not hard, right? Like 10 minutes reading through the docs will, will cover them, um, but give you the motivation so that, so that when, when you're trying to go to a PM and just by adding you know, an extra couple of days, to make a screen voiceover capable or uh, asking them to, to add some time to the design schedule to, to make the designs flexible enough to support dynamic type, um, that you have all the, the necessary facts and figures. Because it's, as you saw, it's got to come down from that design stage. If it doesn't, it's too late. Yeah. Because once, once you've got it, and you're trying to code it up, there's only so much you can do. So Jeff, do you think this is a UX and UI design problem first? And it should sort of originate from the product from the get-go so that we're, well, building the right thing effectively. Because then, as you said, it might be too late by the time we build the UI and it's already a two-column layout, but it doesn't work for if we add into account users who want voiceover, let's say. Right. That's a really interesting question because so many things we as engineers often say design needs to do this, right? We often feel like, oh, we've only got so much time. Let's, let's get design to think about this. And, and I think it's a whole company problem. It needs to be something that the company values. Engineering needs to make it a priority and say, we're 100% on board with implementing this. We understand how to implement this. Um, we know all the ways in which our current code is deficient. And here's exactly what we need from design. Because if you just go to design and say, please give us designs that work for voiceover and designs that work for dynamic type, you'll never see them again. <laughs> because they probably don't know, right? Many of them aren't iOS experts. And, and it's our job as iOS folks to, to help coach them, to help coach them into giving us what we need. So that's one of the reasons why like, I try to show um, examples of the kind of design that we want, right? With red lines that are based off of the scalable type that actually have a, a, a horizontal layout and a vertical layout. Because if you come to design and you say, well, what happens when the type gets really large? They might come back to you with like a hundred different ideas. And then what? They might come back to you with just some crazy idea that you can't implement. And then you're doomed, right? You know, they might want the text to spiral around and transform um, and, 
And that might be interesting and cool, um, but ultimately it doesn't help the users. We, wanna, we really do want to guide their thinking and say, we need a solution. We want you to design it. And here's the parameters of what we need because we're the ones who understand the problem domain. Right. I mean, it's a, it's a hard balance to strike, right? Like yeah. On one hand, I'm a developer and in a way, for the lack of better, better naming of it or better words, right? I'm a code monkey, right? Like I, I just like, tell me what to do and I will do it well because that's my profession and specialty, right? Right. Uh, and I might be good at knowing design patterns and stuff like that, but I don't know much about UX, right? Cause just sure. simply not because I don't want to, but because I cannot know everything and I spend my majority of my time building networking layer, right? Like right. I'm so far away from this. Yeah. At the same time, yeah, I can see that. And I was in this situation, not, not specifically about uh, accessibility, but excuse me, uh, uh, in, in regards of like adaptiveness of layout, right? Where they uh, designers would come to me and say, and show me like, here's the, what we want you to implement the design for this screen. But then I would kind of guide them with probing questions like what happens if we landscape this? What happens if we resize and, and things like that? Mm -hmm. right? Like what are the rules there? That's usually the, the, the specific phrase I use or question. Mm -hmm. What are the rules for this label when it gets stretched? How it's right. supposed to look? Is it going to get um, truncated? How many lines? Things like right. that. Much like we've learned to ask questions like, what are the empty states? What's the error state? You know, right, right. All, all the questions that we've learned to ask design over the years, we're now teaching them what the right set of deliverables are for things like dynamic type and voiceover. So what we need to ask them is, how do you want this component to sound? Right? How do you want this component to be announced to the user? Because in a lot of cases, the, the information that goes into that component to be announced informs what, you know, uh, NS formatters we use, what, what actual content we might have to fetch from the back end. We might have to fetch slightly different content in order to get a colloquial sounding announcement. Right. Uh, a good example that, that I used in my, in my talk was the uh, Trulia app where, as it has the list of open houses for, for a real estate app, it's, it's listing uh, an open house, uh, a, a group of open houses between the range uh, of no bottom and $1.3 million. And it announces it as zero minus 1.3 million dollars <laughs> which which if we're if we're looking at it it's fine right everybody understands what it says what it's doing and well, yeah, i get a house correct, and i right? get a million dollars <laughs> exactly <Minus. laughs> right and 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 that's kind of the, the the joke that i made about it right is like are they paying me a million 1.3 million dollars to take this house and if so what's wrong with it but clearly no one stopped to think how do you want this thing to sound? They just sort of took advantage of the fact that UI labels do the work. They did do a little bit of extra work to, to make things sort of grouped together so that every cell had its own um, announcement. But that was pretty much it. Okay. I don't want to go too, too deep into the rabbit hole, but kind of the question I want to ask, I, I have to give a context and that might be a little bit of a rabbit hole but bear with That's me fine. the question is where where do we sort of where do we stop where's the balance how do we find it and, and i kind of still want to mm -hmm. push it towards like designers probably have better answer for that than myself just because they have more domain knowledge in that and what i mean is at some point i was building uh, just super short context i was building a cross-platform app it was an iOS app first, but then we had a portable library and then it became a Mac app. We didn't have time to build Mac UI, so we built, uh, we j made it input-output app terminal instead. Mm. But the flow of the application was 
as originally iOS flow, it was driven by that logic, meaning certain UI elements, quote unquote, but in case of a terminal app, certain prints outs and in, uh, requests and inputs from terminal would happen in a certain order just because the iOS was wired like that. Hmm. That obviously did not, we, we had to like do some trickery there to like remove a synchronicity, for example. But, and it kind of worked, like you could still use it and, and like interact with it and you would see your tweets feed in the printed form, right? But that obviously was not a crafted experience for sure. that medium. And that's where we realized, oh, this is more of a, like a voice input type of thing, even though you type it. Sure. How, we, we just did not completely know how to approach that because we don't talk to Alexa, right? We don't, we just right. don't have it. And that's, it's weird to us because we use phones most of, most of the time. Mm -hmm. So wh where's that balance of when do you even like redo it almost completely, right? And then again, maybe designers should answer that because I don't know. Well, I think part of it is you don't know what you need until you try to build it, right? Like one of the things that I try to, to suggest is that especially if you're going to implement dynamic type is that sooner or later you're going to need a vertical layout and so that's just a thing that you can ask design for and so it's just it's just a, a very good thing to start asking your designers to provide you know how does this component look laid out horizontally how does it look when you lay out its content vertically because typically when the type gets too large then you want to lay it out vertically. So um, that's the first thing. And then, as I said, you know, if you um, if you start asking your designers how do you want it to sound in voiceover, that'll get them thinking in terms of the auditory interface. And then, as you start implementing these things, I'm sure you'll come up with your own uh, cycle that you can work with your design team because every design team and every engineering team is different, how they work together is pretty much unique. Yes, I, I was thinking more of a, if you really go deep on doing voice interface, your entire, like you might want to re rethink the flow of your application. If yes. you're really truly implementing that. Like again, imagine you have Alexa or some device like that. You don't even have a interface right or rather your interface is the voice mm -hmm. somehow so, that's how i'm thinking about this accessibility mm -hmm. right like if you're really doing it that's what, where you want to go so you can certainly add uh, a tremendous amount of voice control power to your app um, but that, that's a whole different level of involvement and that would be that would often require you to rethink the architecture of your app. You would certainly start by making more and more of your app accessible via NS user activity and intents because that's sort of how you expose that functionality in iOS. And it's something that I'm only just starting to scratch the surface of. That's probably going to be the next part of the considerate app, basically. How do, you not, how do you not leave behind people who have motor control problems, right? Who want to use your app via voice command and, and switches and things like that. Um, but Yeah, almost like make it a Siri app, right? If that makes mm -hmm. sense. Right. So basically, how would you take your app and expose as much of it as possible or as much as, as makes sense, right? Because when, um, when I was developing... Uh, the new App Store Connect for iOS app, we exposed a fair bit of it uh, as Siri shortcuts. Now, for the most part, I didn't do anything. All I did was at the presentation of each view controller, say, here's the NS user activity for this view controller, and it is available to use as a shortcut. And Siri did the rest of the work. It said, ah, oh, look, you go to this screen often, I'll make that available as a shortcut. And periodically it would say, hey, would you like to go back to that screen? And then you can record 
a shortcut saying, show me reviews for XYZ. And that's hugely powerful. And that requires almost no activity on, on my part, right? All I have to do is just sort of ambiently provide sort of like a, a, a waypoint marker, which is useful in so many fashions, right? I can use that as uh, a handoff piece of information. Now we use it as state restoration. Um, I don't even have to go down the road of a custom intent, which is super powerful, but it's a lot more work. So yeah, that would probably be a thing to start thinking about and asking again, asking design, what sort of waypoints do we want in the app and how do we want them annotated, right? Because every NS user activity has the ability to have a text associated with it, right? There's the title and the subtitle and, and things like that. So how do we want that? Because that's all, all a user interface as well. It's just a textual user interface that Siri then shows, and in some cases, uh, announces. So I'm wondering then, as we talk about this, is it easier to get your entire interface built and then go back through and decide how you want those interactions to happen? Or do you do it up front and kind of get all this stuff in there from the get-go so that it's there as you move forward? Um, I don't know if, if Sujan or Alex have, have ever had the experience of being able to plan everything out all at once. Um, so it's pretty oh, much... We, we had probably, but never. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it never works that way, yeah. Um, so it's, it's pretty unlikely. Um, it, it, in my experience, it's, it's always a case of going back and, and fixing things up at some point. It depends on, on what, what bits need to be fixed up. And part of it is that, you know, in some cases, some of these features get added uh, in, the, in the OS as it goes along, right? NS user activity and, and Siri shortcuts came along and they were just a thing. And then suddenly it was like, oh, you mean if I add this flag on here, Siri will start recommending them? Previously, it was just a, a way to do handoff. Mm -hmm. So I had been adding them just as uh, a way to hand off between devices. And then suddenly I just added the flag and Siri started recommending screens. And it was, it was a nice additional feature. No one really knew about it until it went out in a release and suddenly people said, oh, look, App Store Connect does, does Siri shortcuts. <laughs> Nice. So our dynamic type and, um, you know, these kinds of audio, I, I've already forgotten the term, but, you know, are these the kind, are, are there other ways, I guess, to build in this kind of consideration for users? Or I think it's really important to pay attention to uh, the accessibility technologies that Apple is providing. Um, they are hugely important and understanding the, the challenges that your users are facing uh, will inform how you adopt them, right? Because not every app needs to adopt them in the same order because not every application's users are facing the same challenges, right? And so it's probably a good idea to always adopt dynamic type, dy uh, voiceover, um, and you know the, the the rest of the 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 uh, voice commands, which are a, a new thing in iOS 13, um, and there's the the new one where you can do the grid selection. There are ways you can make that even easier to use, um, but it depends on how many of your users actually use some of the functionality. Like if you have metrics that indicates that you have a large number of voiceover users. Maybe you want to add custom rotors to your app so that they can perform custom commands um, so that the folks with vo uh, using VoiceOver are even more productive. Have you heard of Atwood's Law? 
He says that anything that can be built in JavaScript eventually will be built in JavaScript, and that includes mobile apps. You can build awesome mobile apps and Apple TV and other apps with React Native. Come check us out every week as we talk about some of the ins and outs of building mobile apps with JavaScript and with React on React Native Radio. You can find it at reactnativeradio.com. So in, in that case, I guess the other thing is, is sometimes it's hard for me to see my users. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they pick it up off the app store. They don't know who I am. So how, how do I start hearing about that? Or do I just kind of hope they give me feedback somewhere? Well, there's, there's really two ways that we see our users, right? I mean, there's, there's our reviews. And <clears throat> I lived through the, the one-star reviews um, when I was doing I, iTunes Connect. And they were, they were brutal. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but the other way, frankly, is, is metrics, instrumenting our apps to see what features uh, our users have turned on. Are they using reduced transparency? Are they using reduced motion? You know, do they have voiceover turned on? Mm-hmm. Do they have uh, some of the other assistive technologies turned on? Because it's really important to know what your user base looks like. And like you said, Charles, you can't see them, right? You can't sit in their living room and watch them use the app. And it'd be That would be cre- convenient. It would be convenient, but it'd be kind of creepy. Yeah. Um, but we can do almost the next best thing to, to get a sense of who they are, right? By, by seeing what functionality they have turned on on their device. That makes sense. So are those flags um, available to, ch- to check on for, for developers? Oh yeah, yeah. In fact, um, all of the accessibility uh, features have, uh, uh, have actual flags, like uh, is reduced transparency turned on, is reduced uh, motion turned on, uh, and they're super easy to check. And you only really have to check them once because while it's possible that someone's going to change them in the middle of using your app, it's really unlikely. And I mean, I know, <laughs> I know I'm letting myself in for, for a, uh, a tirade from someone telling me I'm doing the wrong thing or I'm giving bad advice, but it, it's, it's kind of like people changing the dynamic type in the middle of running your app. It happens, but it's kind of an edge case. For the most part, people who use dynamic type have it set and, and they leave it set. It's great if your app is really good and responds to the changes, but it's not the end of the world if there's some like small artifacts. So uh, all my short career, I have worked in like big companies, so mm-hmm. it's all big, big dev team, big uh, design team. So I know it's uh, hard to um, like get things, get new features that I that developers want into the product because there's so many um, decisions to make. There are already like a like year long timeline is already set at the beginning of the year. So we have to do like this much work. So from the beginning of the talk, I've, I've been thinking, how can I um, persuade the team to, to do this work, to, to implement accessibility? And, and I think I got like sort of a breakthrough, like a small breakthrough. Like, so if we can see, like check see, and see how many users like need this feature. So, mm-hmm. so like just top, on top of my head, like, uh, we st- uh, my previous work, we, we still have um, iOS 10 uh, as the minimum deployment target and, and product team says we, we have like 2% of the users in iOS 10, so we have to keep it. So like if I give them like, you know, 5% or 10% of the users use dynamic types, we, I think we have to do it. So I think that's, that's kind of, that kind of, may, it may work. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I I think having that statistics, those statistics that your this many this percentage of your users have a base font size larger than normal, even though you don't support it. This many of your users have reduced transparency on, even though you don't support it. This many of your users have reduced motion on, even though you don't support it. All that information 
provides good feedback so that when you go to the product owner and you say, hey, I'd like to take two sprints and implement this sort of thing or provide the base level functionality, you can then back it up with saying, and 20% of our users will be benefiting from this, right? And you can then put it as like a big bullet item in, in your next release. Hey, we now support reduced transparency. All right. And this many users will care. You know, it's not a simple case of like, who will care? No one will care, right? Because you don't have any statistics to prove it. And yeah. marketing and everybody else tracks all sorts of other things. It's probably not hard to get them to track something useful like that. One other thing that occurs to me too is you may then see, well, for two weeks we had, you know, 60 users that were using it. And then over the next two weeks, it went down to 50 users, you know, that had that feature turned on that were using it, right? Mm -hmm. And, and that, that may be informative as well. We're actually losing people to this. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a, a really valid point, which is that you may discover that you don't have any users who have any of these features turned on, which is the statistical anomaly, yep. right? Because a large portion of the user base has dynamic type turned on. And if you're not seeing those people, it's because they're, they've chosen an alternative to your app. Yep. Oh, that's a great point, I think. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go turn on some of these features on my wife's iPad, because she's super old, she's 43, so. Oh my gosh. I know. That's, that's pretty elderly. I know, speaking of, there. Speaking of somebody who's 48. <laughs> but, but yeah, I know it, it makes a lot of sense, right? And uh, the other thing to consider is that um, I, I think a lot of users to that point, right, like my wife, wouldn't even know to look at what those features are and how they can help. Right. And then people like me, I mean, I went through all the accessibility settings on my phone a while back just to see if any of them would make it easier on me, even though I don't necessarily need them. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's, a, it's a big deal. And, and some of these things that do make a difference are unfortunately hidden away right? You know, the, the larger type, the, the, the reduced transparency, the bold text, um, some of these things that really would make people's lives better, rightly or wrongly, Apple doesn't want to highlight. Um, I almost think that the onboarding process should say, hey, are you old? Would you like to make, <laughs> make, your, life <laughs> little, <laughs> make your life a little bit old, better? <laughs> yeah. I think they just cater for to, to young whippersnappers like myself who just want to Tinder and all. <laughs> well, young people do have really good eyes on average. That's why so many of the, the young engineers I work with just have the, the tiniest type in Xcode. It's, it's infuriating. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So anything else that we should have been asking about this? Uh, one thing that I'm, I guess comes to mind as I ask this is, how do you test it? Just by using it? Uh, so you would be surprised how much time I spend with voiceover on, on my phone. Um, especially when, when I'm actually building an app that supports voiceover really well. Mm -hmm. Uh, likewise, um, when I'm building an app that supports dynamic type, uh, I very seldom have it set at the standard type size. The most important thing you can do is have the, um, the dynamic type selector in your control uh, center mm -hmm. so that at any point you can just change your type size. And then in the case of voiceover, add it to your uh, triple tap thingy on your home button or the, the power switchy thing right. um, so that you can turn on voiceover really quickly. Um, and then, yeah, just listen to your app. And if it sounds weird and awkward, if it doesn't sound like you would speak that information, then fix it. It's really not that hard. VoiceOver is just, it's really pretty easy. There's almost never a case where you have to do something really, really complex, unless you're doing something bizarre, like trying to make a graph accessible. And, and if so, I can help you out there. <laughs> Anything else we should be talking about here? Uh, no, I think that's, that's pretty good for, for the topic of, or the first topic of accessibility. Um, at a later date, I want to talk about like, voice control and things like that. But I need to learn a little bit more about that before I'm really qualified to talk about it. 
yeah, I'd love to have a conversation about that. So when you feel like you're ready, let us know. <laughs> yeah. Part of this is that, you know, I'm, I feel only qualified to talk about things that I implement mm -hmm. and, and I've gotten to the point now where, where I've done this multiple times for, for big apps. And so it's like, it's, it's second nature. Um, voice control is just the sort of thing where I'm just getting started um, figuring out how to make it work. And as Alex was saying, it's, it's really hard, right? You have to, you have to really rethink how you partition your app and, and how you expose the architecture in kind of a new way. And it's different, right? It's, it's, a, it's a new idea for your app. I have an off-topic uh, question for Jeff. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm actually joining a company in Singapore in just, in just a few weeks. Nice. Yeah, and um, I, so since you've been there even in the ISCONF, I would ask, how did you like Singapore? And like, oh, we loved how, it. Was the, how was the developer? Like, I've never been to Singapore developer conference, so mm -hmm. how, did, how did you like it? Oh, we absolutely loved Singapore. Um, it, now, keep in mind, we were only in the, the, the downtown areas, um, but it was fantastic. Um, Everybody we met was just super nice. Um, the the town was, you know, really clean and and friendly and easy to get around in. Um, I'm biased because everything was in English. <laughs> um, the things that were not in English were also in English, right? So like, <laughs> so there there would be a, a sign in Chinese, but then it would be in English, and I'd be like, oh, I'm okay with that. And so, like, anytime I would be a little bit lost or confused, I had no problem asking someone to give me directions. And even though they might look a little exasperated to deal with someone who was lost and confused, they were happy to help me, right? And one of the things that I really admire about them, quite frankly, is that it genuinely looks like they are doing a lot to make society better. Now, I have no idea what they are also doing to perhaps curb individual liberties. Mm, no idea, right? I'm sure that as a person who lives there, possibly there are things that I would not like. But that's maybe coming from the perspective of an American, right, who eh, maybe has enjoyed a little bit too much individual freedom, right? Where we as Americans sort of take our ability to do pretty much anything for granted. And as a result, we don't necessarily do what's best for society always. We do what's best for us. And I think that's not true of all countries and all cultures. And Singapore is an, is an ideal example of a culture that is very much doing what's best for the for the culture um and when i ask people they don't seem to mind living there um even, even though they were telling me this one story about um you know the electric scooters um that are all super popular in like san jose and, and everywhere else mm -hmm. uh, apparently they became popular in singapore as well except there were some accidents people got get hurt um and then there were a couple of people who got killed because I guess they got bumped off the, the sidewalk into the street or something like that. Uh, and so they were banned, just like totally banned. And if you're caught with an electric scooter, you'll go to jail. And the way it was explained to me is there's not much of a time period between when the police arrest you with the electric scooter, when you show up in court, and when you go to jail. Because it's like, did you have the electric scooter? Or did you not have the electric scooter? Electric right. scooters are banned. You had the electric scooter, go directly to jail. Um, flip side is, electric scooters are banned. Um, and uh, so it's like, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting country. Um, I, in all, in all honesty, I would probably move there. Um, if somebody offered me a, a good job there, be like, yeah, absolutely. I might chafe at some of the restrictions after a little while because I am an American and, and we Americans do that, but it was cool. I liked it. Thank you. 
Yeah, and I, I'm really excited to be moving there. Yeah, so, and and the developer yeah. community was just amazing. Uh, you should definitely go hang out with the uh, with the gang there. Um, they are they are super friendly and and super awesome. And uh, if you go to the conference next year, I might even see you there. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking. Actually, I I was I was actually planning to go to RSConf this year, mm -hmm. but but like schedule changed, so I couldn't make it. So I'm definitely going there. If yeah, yeah since I'm living there, I'm definitely. Yeah, there. absolutely. Yeah, I'm hoping to uh, arrange a workshop there um, oh. because uh, I I really like to to teach public speaking workshops, and um, I was talking. I, to I would be really interested in that. Yeah, I, I was talking to some of the folks who do the, the tech outreach for the, uh, essentially the IT department for the government. And they do a lot of outreach and, and work with the community. And I said, you know, I'd love to, to come teach a workshop there. Um, and that would, be, that would be fantastic. If nothing else, it's a great excuse to go someplace warm in January. Right? <laughs> so, yep. Yeah, and we've had a few other guests that either spoke at that conference or on some of the other shows. Um, I talked to somebody yesterday that lives in Singapore. Mm. Not from yeah. Singapore, but he lives there. So. Yeah, it's, it's really great. Um, it, I, I can't speak highly enough of it. It's, it's a great area. All right, well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Okay. Um, now, picks are just shout-outs, things that you like. Alex, why don't you start us off with picks? Uh, my pick is Intelligent Investor by, uh, oh shoot, I forgot his name. It's a very famous book. Uh, one of those Bibles for investment, stock trading, uh, mm -hmm. talks about fundamental analysis. I, it's thick and terse. I have not finished the, the whole thing yet, but I keep referring back and realize how much of a... Um, crazy trader I am actually relative to what the book says. Um, so yeah, that, that's my pick. If you kind of want to get deeper knowledge on fundamental analysis and stock picking and uh, intrinsic, uh, figuring out intrinsic value of them and things like that, that, that's the book to read. Nice. Sujin, do you have some picks for us? Yes. Um, I, I, I came up with two. One is um, it's a it's an essay called "Being a Noob." It's a Paul Graham's essay, and I'm I'm fond of his essays. And basically, he says that um, don't fear being a noob because if you fear if you are noob if you feel like you're a noob right now, it means that you actually are not ignorant. You're learning stuff right now, so. I think that was really a, <clears throat> that was really good message. And the second one is Xcode eleven point four beta. So it it uh, the eleven point four beta came out, and I like I like a couple of features. So the first thing is that right, uh, you can now test push notifications in simulator. So if you just drag APNS JSON file from your Mac to the simulator, then you get this nice push notification on your simulator so you can test it. And also it improved, it has some uh, improvements in testing. So like for example, Xcode doesn't reinstall app each time, like every time it runs a new XC test. So I think it will become, yeah, so I think it will make the testing faster. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I'll throw in a few picks. So I've been listening to a book on Audible. Um, it's called The Wise Man's Fear. Um, it's the second book after The, the Name of the Wind. Um, I've been listening to Patrick Rothfuss and his books lately and uh, really enjoyed that. So I'm going to pick that. And then I'm also going to pick the Amazon Fire Stick. I have one in my office. And so sometimes I'll just put something up, um, you know, or you know, if I, I need to watch something, I'll, you know, I'll stream it on there instead of on my computer and just sit back and listen to it. And uh, yeah, I've really, really enjoyed that. So I'm going to pick that as well. Of the, We also have the Apple TV. Um, we have a Roku Mini. It's, it's, the, it's the really cheap Roku. And of all of them, um, the, 
the fire stick is by far the best uh, value for the money. So yeah. Jeff, do you have some picks? Um, speaking of books, um, there's, the, there's one that I've been meaning to read. I, I, I bought it recently, but I, it's in my queue. Um, Harry Connolly's got a new one called One Man. If you're into the sort of fantasy genre, it's, uh, it's supposed to be excellent. And I'm, I'm really excited to dig into it. But other than that, I'm just trying to get through home buying and other things. So I haven't come up with anything new. Nice. So uh, I think you mentioned you're from Seattle. So yes. Did you just move up there? Is that what I'm? Uh, no, actually, we're we're moving from uh, Bainbridge Island, which is just off the coast of Seattle, into Seattle proper. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, if I could do anything other than buy a home, I would probably do it. <laughs> it's got to be the most stressful ex- thing I've ever done. Yeah, my wife keeps telling me what part of town she wants to move to, and I'm always like, and I'm like, well, we can't afford that neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Thanks for coming, Jeff. It's my pleasure. All right, folks. We'll uh, wrap this up. We'll be back next week. And in the meantime, Max out. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more.